With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am one of the hosts, Harrison Starr. Joined as always, the resident vegetable cutter, Ben Ross. Mm. Ben, how is it going, my friend? Chopping wood, cutting onions, and uh, what's the word? Trying to cut a big gross fart on these Michigan State Spartans. Yeah, I mean, Iowa 100% cut the cheese. Cut wind, that's it. Yeah, cut that's the, it. Yeah. Cut the cheese. And, and I mean, it's it just absolutely delightful. I think you've kind of figured it out in, in terms of your recaps where Mac McCausland, RIP, would get out the chips and salsa. You get out your cutting board, your vegetables, and you start to get dinner ready. And, and I have to say, the way this game played out, I didn't even fathom. I think I'm going to go ahead and start there and then kind of open it up to you because it's even though Iowa beat Michigan State by 30 points last year, I just didn't think they had it in them considering, Mm -hmm. you know, Michigan State, they're going to flip the script. Maybe Iowa's feeling it a little too much, but they played loose. They played great. um, And they honored uh, the guys who whose numbers are in the rafters. I know it's kind of a special moment there for Luca Garza, obviously being there. I really couldn't tell on TV. I I don't think it was a packed house of Carver, but I think it was a respectable crowd, which is, I guess, so we'll take it. Right. Um, Like a friend texted me, I think when I went up 14 in the first half and I just sort of, you know, and he was like, all he said was, you know, he couldn't ask for a better start. And I got mad at him and he was like, well, I'm just stating facts. <laughs> and I was like, so am I. Because I think then Michigan State hit a three and they would just they scored five quick points and cut the 15 or not 14 point lead to nine. And I was like, all right, this is, you know, this is what Michigan State does. They sort of go on a run. But I would really put the clamps down on defense, I, I guess, in a way that I, I think we have seen this year. Like this is not a characteristic Fran defense from seasons past and in the sa- same way it's not really a characteristic offense even though Iowa did shoot great from three tonight uh we've talked all year about how it really lacks a uh, stone cold three-point shooter and this time you know Bohannon had some good makes he had some horrible misses but Keegan was on fire and Chris he had he he made he he made a couple of himself as well so it's um Looking at the box score now, I mean, like three for seven. I'm I'm okay with Bo Hannon going three for seven. I think four of those shouldn't have been shot. I, I'm talking <laughs> the first half, but then he goes and he hits two of the dumbest back-to-back threes I've ever seen in the second half. That really just totally and completely uh, sealed the deal for Iowa, which not to say it wasn't really sealed before that either. Um, I mean, everybody really played great tonight. I mentioned, you know, Robracha was sort of the unsung hero and. I think we see this a lot, sort of going back for a second. Um, I see this a lot, like on Twitter, especially. It's like I follow, I obviously follow a few Michigan State guys, and they all more or less were saying, like, this isn't a Tom Izzo team. Like, I can't remember um, a team that was this uh, undisciplined and so bad. You know, they had eight turnovers in the first half, and I think only 11 for the game in total, which. Um, you know, you want to be at 10 or under typically. And, um, but the eight, I think they had eight turnovers and Iowa had nine points off of them in the first half. That's just like a dagger. You know, you can't really just live by that. If you're, uh, this well-disciplined Tom is a team that really lacks a type of superstar, you know, that this his he's had before, you know, Luca Garza said Cassius Winston was his favorite player to go against. And who misses, who does, Iowa miss Luca Garza more. Does Michigan State miss miss Cassius, Cassius Winston more? Oh, it's yeah. definitely the latter. Like, I mean, I, I of think course, that, it's like no question. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's just sort of. I think that's a little poignant, and that's sort of what I'd leave my monologue on. Yeah, I mean, I think the t- to talk about Michigan State a bit. I think the 
point raised that they just miss a great point guard is absolutely well-founded. Um, their, their turnovers, like just looking at Ken Palms over the years, like they've been higher uh, from a turnover percentage standpoint just because they play kind of wild at times. Um, but when you have a Cassius Winston type, like you can trust him to go get a shot when you need it, whether it goes in or out, that's basketball, but he can go get you a pretty good shot, um, whether it's him or someone else. And, and they really don't have that guy. I also think like what really stood out watching them today, and I've only caught pieces of other games, is just they really do lack that physicality that you've to, to me I think of Michigan State basketball I, that's the first word that always comes to my time to to my mind is physicality and like you said Rabracha four inches shorter uh, according to how how they're listed in the game menus uh, on Bingham and played one of his best floor games of the season like only got four points all free throws but you know, was boxing out well, was grabbing boards, was blocking shots. Like, I don't think he's had two blocks in a game all season. I'll go ahead and check that pretty quickly. But, like, that set the tone, in my opinion, and, and then it allowed Keegan to be Keegan. Right? I think that that's the thing that's incredible about this kid is, like, he he hasn't had to close that many games, but the way he can really sense the moment and just – take over ball games when it's kind of close or Iowa's on the edge or uh, a team's clawing back. It is unique. And he has just such a unique, disp- different disposition than Luca Garza that it feels weird to come from him. These stretches where he just asserts his will on a game. Um but in some ways, it all, almost makes more sense, right? Like, I mean, it, the Teddy Roosevelt line, walk tall, carry a big stick. Like, I mean, Keegan Murray, he, he really kind of epitomizes that because you really don't he, – he was getting a little emotional at times, but that that's not normally what he does. And I think that that's what makes him so fun to watch is he can do it so casually. It sounds like he had a similar game against Ohio State on Saturday, which I didn't catch up, which we'll touch on in a moment. But it's like I haven't seen Keegan have this kind of game against this competition, I think. You know, maybe I'd have to think – I'd have to. I think I'd have to go back to next year when he's coming off the bench where he just really wowed and he did. Um, he did what he did tonight in, you know, maybe 25 or 30 minutes of playing time, whereas he had – I think he had um, – 36 or, or 35 tonight uh, or probably a little bit less because of so much of it was in garbage time. But I mean, he was an, an important factor all throughout um, 18 in the first half. And really, I think I've never been skeptical of the lottery pick designation, but maybe let me just say like when I, I, I really am a casual NBA fan. Yeah. And when I do watch a game that has a, a game that I wasn't involved in, but let's just say Duke UNC just for chits and gigs. And they mention you know, this guy and that guy's a lottery pick and they're a forward, like Keegan, same position. I just feel like they look like and feel like a lottery pick. And maybe you get nose blind to something like this as a, as an Iowa fan, but it's like, I, he just hasn't passed the eye test for me, which sure. Maybe I'm showing the ass ass there or whatever, but obviously He's been putting up the numbers. And I think part of it too is like he just hasn't beaten this year. He hasn't willed Iowa to a win against um, really great competition. And here he's done it twice in two games. And, you know, proof is now in the pudding and has a chance to really, uh, you know, we's again, February fate is f- f- fake. But what isn't. <laughs> Well, something I'd be new, and I put in my headline that I'm super proud of is February flight for you know, making the making the comparison that Iowa football is known for getting better as the season goes on and it's showing with the way they play. Now we can get see that demonstrated with their basketball counterpart counterparts. 
Yeah, I think the thing about Keegan from an NBA draft standpoint, I don't want to talk too much about it just because to to your point, like I'm also very casual, but like he he's effortless. Like he plays the game so effortlessly that I think it it makes his ability it underestimates his ability. Like someone like Jaden Ivey, he he's the the other, you know, highly sought out thought of player in the NBA draft circles in the Big Ten. You see that with him because he's the six three kind of spindly guard who can every dunk. time I see Jaden Ivey play, he's a stone cold killer. Yeah. He looks like an NBA point guard. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because Iowa has that NBA point guard. Yeah. Too, right? Like an NBA point guard can make anybody, right, look like uh, a rock star out there. Yeah. Which makes what Keegan's doing all the more impressive than against Iowa's point guards. Joe had a, everybody had a great game tonight. Um, but the, 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 the schism between, not the schism, the, the canyon between Aaron Ulis and Jaden Ivey is just so wide. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's a great point about Keegan is like, he doesn't wow necessarily, but like you said, the proof's in the pudding now. Like, I mean, he, he, his ability to assert gain, assert himself on solid opponents like Michigan state, not, I mean, they're waxing poetic about what Michigan state used to be on, on the post game, instead of talking about the dismantling that Iowa just did to them, you know, they're still solid. They, they still, you know, top 30, 40 team in Ken Palm. I do think this win is going to drop them into quad two. So Iowa, come on, don't, don't beat them too badly, but uh, what Keegan did against Michigan State and what, to, to me, his most impressive stretch of the season was when Iowa got down 11 points against Ohio State. Everyone, I think, rightfully thought that game was already in danger zone. And 10-0 run of Keegan Murray and Iowa's right back in it. It's like it never happened. And since that moment, I think Iowa has played their best 30 to 35 minutes, excuse me, 70 to 75 minutes of the basketball season. And I don't think it could have come at a better time simply because, like you said, Iowa fans always had their guard up. And you look at Carver, like, I was impressed. Like, I had so many doubts that Carver was going to be like, you just shake your head at it like it was against kind of the Michigan game was one, and especially the Illinois game. You just shake your head. How is it not better? They came to play. Like, I mean, Tom is referred to it as an ambush. I think that's a little bit his fault to allow himself to be ambushed by a team like Iowa, who's shown to be one of the better teams in the Big Ten, even if their record hasn't hasn't shown it. Um, but, man, like, that was – that was a true home court advantage tonight and, and all credit to, to Hawkeye fans that, that were in attendance, including at least JP. I think Kendall was there too amongst, you know, uh, the BHGP staff. How much would you pay for one of those guys, uh, shirts? I don't know. Uh, probably 30 to $35. I think all in like if it's, that's it. Really? I mean, if it's if it's one of a thousand, then I guess it probably fifty five dollars. Let's let's say that, Ben. <laughs> I was you took it you took that right away from me. I was going to say that. I'm sorry. What would you pay then? For, what would you pay for the key peacoat turtleneck combination Luca Garza was wearing then? Uh, I bet it cost around two thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, uh, no comment on that. And and Dev had that too. Yeah, Dev was rocking the turtleneck. It's it's in. They they were prepared for uh, a blustery day in in Iowa City. Mm-hmm. Do you think they coordinated? I don't know. I, I I did think about that. I'm like, it's in though. Like the turtleneck is in. Um, it was out and now it's back in. But I think the. You know, as I kind of reflect on this game and reflect on even the last three games, to me, it even though they lost that Michigan game, it has felt like 
Iowa has played some of their best basketball in each of these three games. I think the last two, it's unquestionable. But even that Michigan game, it didn't necessarily seem like anyone played necessarily bad, but Michigan just played better, and then Iowa gave themselves a shot at the end. Um, But I guess I'll go ahead and turn it over to you for like maybe any closing thoughts on, on tonight before we look back a little more. No, no closing thoughts. I mean, it really, if uh, Iowa could have beaten Michigan last week, earlier in the week, I mean, be, be on cloud nine, but it's stupid to try and take away from that. You know, we've got, <clears throat> we got another chance at Michigan in uh, just over a week and ending uh, with a chance to end on a really high note. I mean, God, if Iowa could win four in a row here, or it's final four, I mean, I just can't imagine. It would be, it would have to be the most momentum an Iowa team has had going into the tournament, right? Um, if I recall, well, let me pull it up. I have it right here. The 2015 team won two, three, four, six straight to end mm-hmm. uh, the regular season, but they lost in lost Indiana to Penn State, right? Uh, no, oh, that Penn that was State. the. Oh. The 2017 team won four straight, and that was the Indiana loss that knocked them out of the tournament. Okay. And then, yeah, if Iowa wins, uh, well, and even last year. I mean, let's go to go to last year. They last year finished they seven Wisconsin of eight, and then beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament game, which yeah, um, is always good. So I get they had a pretty good momentum last year. Just got kicked. Yeah, regular uh, hurts. Oh boy! Uh, now I'm getting like the heebie-jeebies about oh, is Iowa is Iowa coming on too strong? No, they're not. You always you always take wins. no. That's fake. That that is <laughs> that is the dumbest thing I could ever say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess maybe what sticks out is like Fran and Izzo said this in the post game. He thinks. I mean, this is just Izzo being Izzo, right? Like, oh, love me, hate me, hot and cold. But he, he said Fran needs to get some more love as coach of the year potentially in the conference, and I think he absolutely does. Like, he's his insertion of Perkins that we were all skeptical of. We talk about it, you know, last couple of times that we've been skeptical of it. I just want to see it against good teams. We've seen it against good teams, and – it's worked. Like I think Perkins, Toussaint, Ulysses, and Bohannon are all playing their best basketball of the season, and that is one hundred percent a credit to Fran. I mean, I have to agree with you there, and especially too, they ha- up at sometime during a break, Robbie Hummel and the other guy had they had projected seedings for Big Ten teams, and there is no clear cut number one team. They they had. I think Purdue and Wisconsin has two seeds and Illinois is a three seed. And then um, I don't even remember the rest. I just know they did have Rutgers in as a 10, which would be fun. Um, And so more than anything, and I don't like to, you know, I don't totally mean this, but it's like also part of like a bit of a lifetime achievement award too. I feel like Fran, if anything, would be deserving of it this year. I mean, Keegan, the Keegan's only other chance offered to play basketball was Ball State wasn't it? It was Western Illinois at a high school. Western Illinois. Yeah. Same, same. (laughs) And so like taking, I mean, I realize they're legacy recruits and they're from Cedar Rapids, but like taking the, not just like taking the chance quote unquote on them, but also, I mean, you have to like, people are trying to take away Luca Garza's development away from Fran and saying it was all Luca and his dad. And like, see, you have, two potential big 10 players of the year back to back. And you're going to tell me that Kenyon Murray deserves more, which of course I'm sure he does. Yeah. But like, I mean, who's in season, who's with these guys more Kenyon or Fran, uh, Frank Garza or Fran, like, give me a break. So, you know, we're a very pro Fran podcast. And I mean, Pat and Connor is playing like Connor too, had had himself a great game. Did he ever get back in after he got, after he, lowered his shoulder no he didn't that was that feels like a classic connor thing like i mean mm-hmm. just doing what is best in the moment and like immediately regretting it 
and uh, that sucked. Uh, but anyway, you know, he had he had back to back threes. You know, yep. Pat had himself a nice game, quiet five and six. Like, I'm okay with um, really everything Fran's been doing this year, which hasn't usually probably isn't the case. And also, I feel like we should yeah. be talking about how. In the three of the last, you know where I'm going with this. In three of, in two of the past game or two of the past three games, a coach uh, in a game I was involved with has gotten a technical foul. And it wasn't Fran. It hasn't been, and it wasn't Fran. (laughs) Yeah. So I I finally think you know he's kind of hopefully it's only taken eleven seasons, but he's finally sort of digging himself out of that stereotype he he made for himself. I mean, that's gonna was constructed around him. That's gonna carry through him the rest of his career like he just the way it began um you know the the pretty aggressive blow up at you and i i remember being the really bad one the breaking the chair at michigan state um those two have really kind of driven the narrative i think but he never allows well, no, himself freaking dan, dan wetzel wrote a column when he chased a referee into a tunnel a few years ago well, that's that. That was the point I was going to. That's one that sticks out. He never oh, okay. allows enough time f- to be like totally st- not even stoic's the wrong word, but like be normal division one head coach behavior for three to five years, and then it 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 would fade away. That would be the the Fran fade is the fact that people finally view him as a sensible coach, which he is ninety five percent. Like he. The thing that I don't think people necessarily understand about Fran that I'm starting to like really appreciate more and more is like his ability to connect with his players from a number of different backgrounds, his ability to kind of maintain those relationships. You don't see people really speak ill of Fran or even like talk around Fran at all. Like the relationship he has with Bohannon, like Bohannon going out and tweeting, how's this happened to coach A and B, but not, but with Fran, it would be different. Like I, I get that he's their coach, but like there's stuff that follows some of these guys around and, and listening to Izzo's comments from the, after the Illinois game, like he threw his point guards under the bus. Oh, our point guards are turning the ball over too much. Fran would not be so explicit in his, uh, public discussions of a player or a group of players. Um, he defends his team really quite well. He's a player's coach. He plays an exciting brand of basketball. He's got this team chugging. And Nick had some stats. They, they're, they're an entertaining product that he's consistently put out on the floor that is now consistently winning at a high level i think it, it feels safe and, and high level i guess your mileage may vary but in the scheme of iowa basketball it's a above average level um and you know i think that's really all you can ask for and the fact that he's seen something in guys who have turned into player of the year candidates i don't care how much credit you want to give to his development but he's seen it, and he's gotten them to Iowa, and he's played a part in their development. Um, so, yeah, he's a really good coach, and uh, it would be a bit of a lifetime achievement if he ended up winning it if Iowa finishes strong. But, um, you know, uh, it, it seems like an exciting it's, – it's an exciting time of year, Ben, and it doesn't necessarily always feel feel like that. He's always had a really good eye for talent. You can, you might, you probably know the answer to this, but like, and he's just never been able to get that talent because. So wasn't he famously the very first coach to offer a scholarship to Tyler Ulis? Yeah, Aaron's brother. Yeah, and so like, that was the reason why is between like Kentucky and Iowa at the eleventh hour. It's like, what is Iowa doing? It's just like, well, this guy was on me first, and that paid dividends dividends because he was the first coach to offer Luca Garza. Yeah, and Frank, if I remember this correctly, Frank more or less made Luca didn't really give him a choice because he just wanted to show his appreciation for Fran's um, eye. And I'm sure there's a couple uh, there's a couple of other players that are like that too. I can't think of it off the top of my head. So now we can see what Iowa and what Fran can do when 
he's able to reap what he sows uh, while on the recruiting trail. And it's just, you know, I'm hopefully, uh, you know, like I said, you can't get more pro McCaffrey than us. And we just want to see him succeed. And they can, in obviously we have to see how the year ends, but he can get himself coach of the year. I, I have a tough time believing that'll happen if I was not in the top four, at least, I think, in the Big Ten. Um, similar to like, you know, MVP for for some sport goes to like a non a non playoff team, um, but you know uh, I'm open to being surprised there. I mean, it's going to probably be guard. I mean, that's that's what makes. I me think it's sick. totally be guard. So here's why I think it's going to be guard, and this will probably get into our next topic: is the way the narrative has spun so much around. Michigan and Juwan Howard doing everything wrong and Wisconsin and Greg Gard and his assistant with the most Wisconsin last name ever, Krabenhoff, <laughs> doing everything right. And I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I've said it before, like Wisconsin and Gard has kind of sort of done what Fran has done uh, this year with maybe on a slightly higher level, have a player of the year candidate on the team made up a team has players who maybe stuck around a little bit longer than they should have who are polarizing (laughs) and sort of just finding ways to win. And the Wisconsin statement that came out about how they're going to pay guards fine and how the overarching media narrative I've read today and yesterday online was we're typically in defense of Wisconsin saying that, and I don't believe this, but that, you know, it was the situation as far as I can tell is Michigan starters pressing Wisconsin's walk-ons in garbage time. And the easy and the, I don't think this is true, but guard, I think guard called a timeout in retaliation, but also he, he said, and others are saying, well, he made that a teachable moment for his walk-ons, which is what a coach is supposed to do. Which, sure, I buy it, but no coach really coaches walk-ons. I think um, no head coach, at least in my experience, as far as I can tell, and it's just an easy shield to hide behind. And um, yeah, if Wisconsin can somehow win the Big Ten, that he probably does deserve to um, be coach of the year, just because I think Illinois and Purdue are have more talented rosters. Yeah, I mean the the thing about coach of the year is it's almost always exceeding expectations and somehow Wisconsin has dodged the consistent expectation of being a top four outlet. We, we should just pencil them in every year as the number four team in the, in the conference because come hell or high water there, that's probably where they're going to be um, in the same way that you can, in some respects do the same with like Iowa football, like Iowa football. I don't think it's ever going to be, the best team in the big 10, but they'll be in that four to five range. Um, that's Wisconsin basketball. And they entered the season with expectations right around Iowa. So the fact that they're a smidge above Iowa, I think gives guard that, that upper hand, but like, man, I just, the way everything played out with Michigan and Wisconsin, I just could not have, disagreed with more i i don't understand how two three players who were swinging haymakers only get one game apiece unless Jawan howard gets the book thrown at him five games is like the most cop-out length i'd ever i i had ever seen i would almost have preferred to see it as four games because that makes me think that oh they think this is worthy of a four game suspension and not some date where the regular season ends. Cause, cause if it were, if it were, if there were eight games left, does he get an eight game suspension? Like that, that's kind of where my head's at. And if you were to have gotten an eight game suspension, if this happens three games ago, wouldn't that mean that he should sit out the big 10 tournament and NCAA tournament? So that bugged me. And then there's just, there's just the timing of it all. Like it seemed like they were, you know, dragging their feet and 
ultimately, like with the Wisconsin statement, I think to cut Kevin Warren some slack, like he read the writing on the wall and was like, well, if that's going to be how Wisconsin's going to be in terms of defending their coach who played a part in the escalation and the coach who Kravenhoff really escalated it before Howard set her over the top. Well, I, I'm fine with the fine and not fighting about a game suspension for guard, but man, it just another, another uh, black mark on uh, Kevin Warren's uh, or another demerit, I guess on Kevin Warren's tenure, in my opinion, as big 10 commissioner, just weird. Well, I'm not a Kevin Warren supporter anyway, but the 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 the, gave, the harshest punishment the Big Ten could give was a two game suspension. So I'm not sure what I'll like. What, the only other thing they can do is hand, hand out fines, right? And ten thousand. I, I, it's funny because like to these guys, it's not a huge amount of money, but I read forty thousand dollars to Juwan Howard as a ton of money because normally I don't yeah. think I've ever. I can't remember seeing a fine greater than $10,000, which is what Greg Gard got. Um, Fran's been fined $10,000 a couple of times. And it's, I don't know what it is for Fran's, but it's, I read it was, it's, it's one, it's, it's a half of a percent of yeah. Greg Gard's year salary. So it's really, it's pointless. And so what, that means it's probably 1% of, um, or one half percent of Juwan Howard's salary. And he was an NBA player for ten years, so <laughs> it's it's still literally nothing. But you make a so the way what makes me bad is you're right. I totally agree. If there are eight or ten games left on Michigan's schedule, they'd spend suspend for those. And like if Michigan didn't have, I, I don't think Michigan makes attorney. I think I kind of I don't see a way their season doesn't implode implode from here on out. But it's like if they do somehow miraculously make the tournament. I don't think Juwan Howard deserves to coach him because like it'll be his assistant assistant coaches who have had the team on life support. And going back to what I said earlier, it's like, I I choose to interpret this as a two game suspension from the big 10 and a three game suspension from Michigan and three games is just not enough. I do not. I am not one to be pearl clutching and say, Oh, for the children, but it's like I was surfing Twitter when it happened, it's like, I can't remember the last time I saw a head coach throw a punch at another person. I just can't. And so I just think it, it does deserve. And I got, I went on to like M go blog um, <laughs> oh, yeah. to see what they were saying. Like some people were saying like, they were proud to be call themselves Michigan men that day. And like Juwan Howard wasn't his right to do that. And I was like, that is so fucking pathetic of like, proud that their coach committed assault in in the most like in, in a 15 point loss like come on just we have to be better as people Harrison yeah I mean that's what's what was most disappointing in the immediate aftermath was like Jawan Howard not immediately understanding like his role as a leader right like I, I think if he had immediately said that and been like, man, you know, I just should have cooled off and I didn't. And I boiled over and that was, that was a bad look by me. And I let, I couldn't believe he spoke to the media. I was genuinely yes. shocked that he had availability. I let alone, I couldn't let Michigan <laughs> let him do it. Like I was shocked. And the other soundbite I saw that I really didn't like was, didn't Greg Gard say he didn't understand the rule in his post game that John Howard, that the, he said the rules have changed since he was a player talking about the position or the timing for why he took the timeout. So we get the six seconds back or whatever, instead of not doing it, I can't. And so like, John Howard knows the rules. Like I think saying that he trying to say, he's trying to explain the rules of basketball to John Howard. It's just kind of like the most, not, not petty, but you really think we believe you type of situation here? Yeah. I mean, I you're right. 
like the 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 reason for the handshake lines is just to be sportsmanlike. And if someone doesn't want to be sportsmanlike, just don't let them. Like I mean, you don't you don't have anything to prove by stopping and explaining the rules to to Howard whether he knows them or not. Like I mean, that's not your job. Like just move on, talk to each other later. And I think McCaffrey, he's the most vocal of fa- uh, of coaches I think who are like anti uh anti line um and his point was really the best one it's that all these guys know each other right like Izzo and Fran tonight before the game were chopping it up I'm sure players go back and forth they know each other on Twitter like Geo Baker and Jordan Bohannon I think are like legitimate friends like it runs deep. So like if, if players want to say, you know, dap up other individual players, that probably would happen in the same way that happens at a football game. But you don't see, you know, everyone getting a, getting a little line behind Kirk Ferentz to, to shake every other football player's hand. Like, and I think that that's Fran's point is that, Hey, I'll shake Tom Izzo's hand, but I'm not sure we need to put a ton of people into a line to do it. And I don't necessarily agree with it, but I see the point. I also like don't necessarily see the point of like, oh, you know, back in my day, that's what I did every time. It's like you didn't have Twitter, Fran Frischilla. The only time you saw this guy beat your butt on on a basketball court was at the basketball court. You know, like I mean, it, it's a different time, and uh, I I don't see them getting away from the handshake line, but it's the the dumbest debate of all time. I can't believe I debated myself about it. Wasn't it a big story in like November or December where in Iowa high school basketball, a player totally completely sucker punched an opponent in a line? Because I remember Thad showing that on Twitter. And the kid got charged with like assault, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It was like a horrible sucker punch. He clocked him. Yeah, and, that, that's I mean, yep. And then I I just remember so vividly. I can't remember the opponent, but I do think it was in the the like the whatever the Coliseum is called in in North Dakota, um, not the Fargo Dome, but they played Utah State there this year, I think. Oh, okay, the Pentagon um, or whatever. And it, the Pentagon, yeah, and um, might have even been like Nevada or something. They were saying like, I remember friend, friend, it was back when Nicholas bear and Peter Jock were on the team. It was like the last thing I need is Nick getting his head ripped off because the game ended in a chippy situation. So it's like, yes, if you could, if you have the opportunity to remove your team from, from a potentially dangerous situation. And even if there's only a 10% chance of something bad happening, like why, why take that risk? And <laughs> If you, even though Brad Davison was not, did not play a starring role in this particular conflict, the fact that he is in that handshake line is a big enough risk by itself <laughs> that I don't understand why you would take. Like, and you could take it for your own, like, if I'm Hunter Dickinson or whoever on Michigan, like, protecting your own players, like, I want to sock Brad Davison. So, like, if you remove your players from that situation too, it's a win win. Yep, yep. I, I mean, I think we've probably exhausted this as I look when we started talking about Wisconsin. It was 15 minutes ago. Um, God, we've talked about Wisconsin basketball way too much the last couple of weeks, Ben. Um, makes me makes me sick. Yep, yep. So I guess as I look back from when we last podcasted, it was after the Nebraska game. And we more or less said, we need to see this happen against good teams to put to put a bow mm-hmm. on that discussion, Ben. Have you seen what you needed to these last three games? Um, well, no. Michigan game was a loss. Ohio State, I didn't get to really watch any of. Uh, did, did pull up Gary Dolphin on online and for the car drive uh, in Phoenix and it was nice. Couldn't really, when Iowa got down 11, just really couldn't believe it. And then Connor McCaffrey putting the dagger in that one, couldn't believe it again. Um, just happy to happy to see it happen. 
I mean, more than anything now, I just need to see Iowa not blow it. I could, I don't know if I could live with another loss to Michigan, uh, judging on how I think they'll be. I can't. So really like the only loss left on the schedule I can really live with is, you know, at Illinois, right? Um, Nebraska Northwestern, you, you just can't. I mean, you can't. Lose. I know you just can't. What, what's the what's the score on Nebraska Northwestern right now? It is, oh, I think I, Northwestern I just, just lost. Or no, uh, Nebraska lost seventy seven sixty five. So it's just yeah. like it doesn't matter. Take care of business against these next few teams, and don't. And I don't think they will, but don't curl up and die against Illinois. And and then I guess. Um, I don't, I don't even want to talk about Big Ten tournament um, without seeing the sla- these last two weeks. Um, so I guess you know we're getting there. Really, I mean, it's been so many times this season where I thought they were dead in the water. Yeah, more than I can ever remember, and like genuinely shocked to see the number twenty five next to their name right now when uh, they lost to Michigan less than a week ago. Really? Yeah. I mean, you look at it, and they've they fought back. Like I, I think you know, start it with the Virginia game and having that almost be a loss. Joe Tuz, after winning for long stretch of the game, Joe Toussaint having the game winner, and then Patrick the the game clinching, you know, block that that was like a, a checkbox. Um, and then when they lost the third straight game to Iowa State, that was like, oh boy. Maybe this team isn't who we thought they were, but they do what they need to against Utah State. Uh, you know, I, I, I definitely and that Iowa like, State loss is bad in retrospect too, isn't it? Uh, on the on the sheet, isn't it a bad loss now? Uh, I, it might be quad two, um, but no, it, there's no way because like okay. a, quad, a quad two loss would be like sub in the in the sixties, I think. And Iowa yeah. State's not there yet. Um, but like whenever they've been knocked down, they've, they fought back. And I think the the Iowa state game to me, it's, there is a lot going on in that one. Like there was a ton of emotion and not 100% Keegan Murray. And you know, that, that kind of wrote that game. Um, you got some hot performances from, from Cyclones and that, that was tough, but like, I guess your, your broader point, me confirming and agreeing with it is that every time I was had a chance to maybe bow out, they haven't. And that says a lot. Like it kind of gets back to the frame discussion. It gets to the Keegan discussion. I think a lot of kids deserve a ton of credit. Um, you know, Peyton Sanford being one, like that kid is so hot or cold and he's fun to watch, especially when he's making shots, but he keeps his head up and it's indicative of what we see from a lot of guys on this team is just a willingness to scrap and do what's needed to, to win. And I think if they can continue, Jonah had this, I think after the, it may have been after the Michigan game, but, but it was definitely after the Ohio state game. If they just commit to defense and rebounding, the offense is going to come much more often than it won't. And that's going to give them a chance a lot against a lot of teams especially as we look at the rest of the season. Don't dick trip. I think that's that's kind of your point. And, and Michigan potentially is in that don't, don't dick trip um, space now. You know, acquit yourself well against Illinois. And I, I don't want, to, to your point, I don't want to talk about the Big Ten tournament either. Need to see where Iowa shakes out. And we'll see. But, but for... Going into this stretch of three games, I thought two and one would have been pretty good. They're two and one. Not sure it could have been a better two and one, and I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, yeah, I think all those things are right. The most impressive thing to put a bow on it is like there are Ohio State's only loss at home this year. I didn't really like that's an incredible feat. It is. Yeah, I think that that's a, a great point is to, to, you know, whenever you can say you did something that Duke didn't, I think that that's a, a successful game, 
a part of a successful season more often than not. Um, so as we sit here at about the 44 minute mark, Ben, some news broke immediately after. <laughs> oh, one thing I did want to quickly mention before getting to this, you mentioned nose blindness earlier and it was illuminating because I listened to the Ohio state broadcast, not the Iowa broadcast. Cause I was also in the car and they were constantly afraid of Jordan Bohannon. So like that was a lesson learned to me that like, Hey, we're around this kid so much that we forget he strikes fear into the hearts of opponents. I just wanted to mention that real quick and, and then I'll get to my, what my is your point. reason for doing the visitor broadcast over Gary Dalton? They're better most of the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Fair. Fair. <laughs> it is just interesting to get, get an outside's perspective. Um, I think Ohio state has a pretty down the middle crew. I've listened to them before on football games and they're pretty good. Like, I mean, they, they, they slant obviously, but they're well-versed in, in play calling and you know what they do. So, uh, that, that was part of it as well. Um, so as I almost teed up and then get back to and then teen up again, Iowa has a quarterback coach to fill Ben, and that was uh, released immediately after we chatted last time. Um, I don't know if we want to necessarily belabor it, but um, do you have any thoughts you want to want to discuss? No, I, I'll just say what I think will happen and what I want to happen. I think I don't think we fill the position, or I don't think we hire a QB coach. I think we either have somebody pull double duty, and um, somebody is named QB coach, and in addition to being um, wide receivers coach or something, or um. Or we hire, uh, or or the that's what I think will that's what I don't think will happen. Oh, wait, I already forgot uh, what I meant. Um, what I do think will happen, and what I or what I don't want to happen, I guess, is I don't want us to really right now. I don't want to hire this high school coach, this QB group oh, yeah. whose name I can't pronounce. Raciopi, 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 which I don't necessarily think will happen. I think Chad Leistikow was dropping little things about him and he's worked with Kenny Pickett and Stanley and Petrus and things like that. And I just, that just seems so out of the box for Kirk to go and hire somebody who isn't a coach in a football program somewhere. Right. Um, So, you know, who, who just got hired as QB coach at Northern Iowa Drew Tate. Drew Tate did. And I, I which and I didn't realize this, but he has some bad blood between him and Kirk. So I just don't see that that happening. Um David Rye's been a sexy name since I've been a reporter at the Daily Iowan <laughs> to take up <laughs> that's some a, that's a minute, man. <laughs> I know. It's ten years. Cause he was I think he was a wide receivers coach at Green Bay with a one year Aaron Rodgers won it won it all. So it wasn't a um, gigantic leap then, but he just more or less got like fired from Vandy, right? Which is tough to do, I think, as a football coach. Um, I I just think you know, but look at who's been retiring. It's Ken O'Keefe, who always had a job and will continue to have a job. Just now, it's an off the field job with the Iowa football program. The guy who gave Kirk his very first. Um job in college football back in the 70s at Allegheny College or wherever and um I don't know it's just like you look at who all his quarterbacks are and have been and you kind of wonder yourself we had a guy coaching these guys yeah I mean I just I think it's going to be the most like, why wouldn't Kirk think that he can just further entrench his family into this? It's going to be Brian. I'm under no auspicious that it's going to be anything different. I think 
the idea of it being Rassiope is certainly the most interesting because it it identifies QB skill as a need and hiring someone who can help that QB skill. But as as you know, Jonah's mentioned the you lose him as a pipeline, kind of like who who can identify guys who might be right for Iowa and sync you up in terms of that type of recruiting. You lose him as a developer, right? Because like doing the math on how much practice time is actually available to quarterbacks, it's really just not that much um, to do skill development. So it's like send send them out for two to three weeks and have them, you know, develop skills that way versus trying to, you know, change a golf swing in the middle of a season, right? You're not going to do that. So um, it's just going to be Brian and we're going to find someone else to do something else. Probably Manson to do tight ends. And that's that Ben. So very excited to have a quarterback coach who has never been quarterback before in his life. Yeah. Fun stuff, I guess. It'd almost be as bad as having an offensive coordinator who's never offensive coordinated before in his entire life. Yeah. I mean, I, the the thing about, I don't want to relitigate it, but like the hire made sense. The fact that he's proven himself to be less than competent over the last five years makes his ability to be an offensive coordinator anywhere else a little t- tougher, but I guess he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to, you know, uh, he doesn't have to go through his resume, update it. He he can just save that job for whenever whenever Papa Ferentz retires. My favorite. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, you know, f- fun week in Iowa sports, Ben. Uh, outside of the loss to Michigan and Ken O'Keefe's retirement, but two great wins on, on the up and up. And you know, women's basketball is. You know, they had the the sweep against Indiana. R- really hard to mm-hmm. not enjoy being an Iowa fan at this point, and we probably need to give a little more love to women's basketball. But um, it's tough. There's there are only so many plates that I can spin. I know. Blogging was easy. Everybody would do it. Great, great point. So for Ben Ross, I'm Harrison Starr. Go Hawks. Slice these veggies. <laughs>